Hey, Skaters fans, Ryan Posner here on today's episode of Down and Sugarland. My co-host Brandon and I will discuss the Astros series against the Tigers and the Mariners. We get a little nostalgic with some 90s baseball talk, an interview with Astros and UT legend Greg Swindell, and then last but not least, we cheer off some of the most iconic baseball movies to end the show. Hit it, Troy. All right, Brandon. Well, it was kind of a, a week to forget, I guess you could say, for the Astros and a lot of circumstances kind of, you know, hanging over that tough week, taking a sweep at the hands of the Tigers, and then they got one game out of a three against the Mariners. And, you know, the week started off not so great. You know, right, right as our podcast hit, uh, the news broke down that pretty much the entire Astros lineup was put on the injured list. Uh, and, you know, the, the reasoning was health and safety protocols uh, handed down by Major League Baseball. I mean, they were without guys like Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Joran Alvarez, Martin Maldonado. So essentially really the entire lineup. And uh, what followed was a tough week, as expected. Um, and, you know, there's definitely some chatter around the Astros. They were not too pleased that they were forced to carry on while teams kind of faced similar circumstances and got games postponed. But, you know, I mean, you start there, those the series of the Tigers, Brandon, and uh, it was it was a little bit, a little bit of a rough one. Yeah, Astros have lost seven of eight, and they were swept by the Tigers, like you mentioned. Game one. Welcome back, A.J. Hinch, and they put up a big one, winning 6-2. Uh, they lost game two as well, 8-2. Even though the Astros had eight hits in the game, but it was primarily Alvarez and Yuli, they've been mashing the ball lately. They've been a huge part of the offense. And then Jake Odorizzi, man, he got lit up big time. Uh, he's been tossing a bunch of strikeouts, but three and a third inning, giving up seven hits, five earned, no walks, four Ks. Jake has been getting his feel back for the baseball. The one thing that's been a positive rate from seeing him is even though he hasn't been pitching a long, lot, uh, lot of innings, he's got a lot of strikeouts racking up. So it tells me that he's at least got good command of what he's throwing there. Yeah, and command is definitely the name of the game for Jacob Rizzi. One of those kind of guys who's not going to light up the radar gun, but certainly is a guy that can control the strike zone. What's kind of cool, though, was that, you know, amid, amidst this kind of chaos in terms of bringing up literally like six or seven guys from the alternate squad, uh, alternate site was we got a really get a, a look at guys that'll be playing in circle land. And we saw the kind of this, this is like a running bit all week was with people like, yeah, I don't think the skeeters are ready for the major leagues just yet. Like, but it was cool. You know, you saw last, I believe last Thursday, Ronnie Dawson getting his first major league start cashes in his first major league hit. I mean, that's a guy, Ronnie Dawson who's played quite a bit in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, obviously you hoped it was under better circumstances, but great to see him. Um, our guy, Alex Jagodi, had a two-hit ball game in the Seattle series. Um, you saw guys like Peter Solomon come up and make an appearance in the Seattle series. Uh, Taylor Jones had himself a nice week, and that's a guy that you know I, we had expected to see here. So um, amidst that, I, I you know found that interesting. I'm sure the Astros Astros fans around didn't find that as interesting. Abraham Toro, another guy who got some playing time as well. Well, you know the one thing that you and I stated was these guys when they get called up, they're not going to be bottom of the order players or hitters. They're actually going to produce and. The offense wasn't our problem in these losing streak that we're in midst. It's really been a heavy burden of the pitching staff, whether it's been from the starters or the middle relief. The bullpen is something that really has to get better and quickly. You and I mentioned last podcast that help is on the way in terms of relief. But guys like McCullers right now, he's been struggling a bit. I mean, when they lost six to four, he only went three and two thirds, giving up six runs, three walks, three strikeouts going forward. He has to be better for it in this rotation for us to get stronger. I mean, Odorizzi, you can tell, is getting the field back. He he had a much stronger outing the last outing against the Mariners. But with Verlander, somebody who's possibly on the horizon of coming back much further down the road, we need guys like McCuller to step up to give a lot more relief for this bullpen going forward. But the nice thing was... Again, Skeeter fans need to be looking up because the bats were hot. They just didn't score many runs. A lot of singles. Yeah, and and Lance McCullers, he, he did say, I mean, he had the, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and that happened a, couple, like a day or two before the start, and he wasn't feeling so hot either. It just feels like this like black cloud was hanging over the team in terms of health and wellness um, in the, the bullpen especially, Brandon. I mean, my goodness, Soma Pedro Baez, um, another guy they were expecting to lead on heavily, I mean, Obviously, Roberto Asuna no longer with the team, so they were already they're already down some of their back end guys, and it's like some cruel joke too. Like Blake Taylor, they put him on the ten day IL to end the week. Andre Scrub hasn't been there. Josh James, a guy that you know is going to be a part of the bullpen, not there yet. So they've really had to kind of scrape, you know, the resin off of their depth here, um, especially in the bullpen, um, like you had mentioned. And 
it's one of those things where you don't want to panic, but it's not good baseball to watch. It's tough to watch. Um, and it's just, there's, there's, there's help on the way. Um, but it is cool. I think some of these guys are getting some opportunities early that could be impactful come September, October. Now you're, you're looking at guys like Ronnie Dawson and Alex Dagoti and uh, Brian Abreu. They're getting extended looks now that really could pay dividends later on in the season. So kind of building off what you mentioned with the bullpen, I mean, our ERA, we're ranked 19th, which is about middle of the pack with 4.36, which I think is a blessing right now, considering how rough it's been lately. But let's look at the positive side. Talking about those guys that you're mentioning that are going to be here in Sugarland playing for the Skeeters. We've been singing to Goaty's praises, and boy, did he make us look good over the break, man. Yep. I mean, he was absolutely just ripping the ball all over the park. I, I think going forward... You're going to see those guys possibly challenge for a roster spot going forward. I think they've played well enough for it to be very interesting going forward. Yeah, and even a guy like Aledis Diaz, Brandon, like yeah, you Diaz know, for, former All Star, don't sleep on him. And he's getting he's a guy who's a reserve player, but now he's getting extended at bats. Another thing that you look at, you're like, man, that that's a guy who's playing starting at third base right now. That really is your reserve third baseman, second baseman, left fielder, I guess, in a pinch. So um, that's these are guys that. You're not really expecting to start, but now you're seeing them and they can produce. But then, you know, on Saturday in Seattle, you know, you got your stopper, Zach Grinky. Yeah. Eight shutty, six Ks, Zach Grinky. Like that's that's why you have that's why you pay Zach Grinky the big bucks. That's why you bring him in. You you they gave up a lot of prospects to get him. Um and then obviously it was it's, it seemed quaint that Ryan Presley also gets the save. It's like that is what Astro fans are expecting to see. You have Ryan Presley, one of your most established dominant relievers, finish out a shutout. Off the back of Zach Rinky. Well, speaking of that game, even though they won one to nothing, every Astro got a hit except for Yuli in that game, which yeah. is incredible because it goes to show that they're just hitting a bunch of singles but not driving any guys in right now. So it's a little bit frustrating because the offense is racking up multiple hits. If you look through the box score, a lot of those games, even though we only got two runs, we had 10 hits. So it goes to show that you're leading off the innings, getting singles, etc., but you don't have those big guns because they're out for safety protocol reasons to drive them in. So right now, I know the seven of eight is concerning, but judging by who's in the lineup right now, I feel like there's got to be at least optimism going forward. Yeah, you, you got to take it for what it is. It's a tough stretch of the season. Um, a lot of those guys expected back this week, minus Altuve. I think he might have a little bit longer stay on the uh, on the IL, but in terms of Bregman um, you know, and uh, Maldonado, and Alvarez, you're getting those guys back, and that's going to make the world of difference. Um, having Maldonado back, too, I mean, that's a guy who handles the pitching staff very well. And then, obviously, there's other guys that are coming off the IL, and now you have Oda Rizzi. I mean, it's going it's to take him a little bit to settle in. He got signed in late in spring training. Um, but another, I mean, a manageable week. You get the Mariners again, and the Mariners, they started off hot. But then, I mean, then again, the Mariners are a very young team that they're playing with a lot of energy right now. The Astros are a team with a bunch of guys who have been there before, they know they're, I mean, they've played long in the postseason. The Mariners are getting some great production out of a lot of, of a cast of young players. I mean, I'm interested to see can they sustain it? My gut tells me probably not, but they've played good baseball. They they see them later in the week. They see the Angels and the Rockies. So the schedule is favoring them. Then they have a pretty tough stretch coming up after that where they play some AL East teams, but they can get their footing here with a, with a nice little stretcher against NL West in this week and a half coming up. So I kind of want to bring up the elephant in the room now. Why on earth did we not get postponed? Yeah, I, it, I know you mentioned that. I know you mentioned that at the top of the segment here, where you're kind of bringing a roundabout. But like to begin the year, the Nationals and uh, Mets they got delayed, which kind of made sense. They just broke from spring training, so technically they didn't have the official start to the season. Twins just recently got suspended as well for play. Why don't we fall in that same category? Yeah, I feel like this is kind of payback in a way. I mean, I just I don't want to speculate, but you know, Lance McCullers had had mentioned that it seemed you know. A little absurd they were playing um the night that he pitched especially and i mean he wasn't on the il but he was not feeling well he said he was he was really down and even james click kind of alluded to their they're looking into why exactly they had to play when there's other teams like you said brandon that didn't have to play um this by far is the most hamstrung i think a team has been due to COVID protocols early on i agree because that's the thing if i'm an astros fan like i should be thinking of a couple of things one it's nice to see that our prospects right now came up and they all hit the ball Two, it stinks to see our bullpen ripped together because of safety protocols. But why are we forced to be out there, but everybody else seems to get a break? That just seems a little bit ridiculous. I would understand people being fired up or upset about it, and I don't think they're really saying much. 
Yeah, it, I mean, and, and he kind of alluded to it. There, there's maybe the the overlying theme that it could be retaliatory. Uh, but I mean, hey, it's a, it's a long season, and, and if the Astros were to go lose seven of eight in August, do you even like if a, like do you even do you even think about it that much? And that's that's why I think, and I, these guys are this is a veteran squad. I think they're going to be okay. And the biggest thing now is like you know you got the guys come back, and that's on the horizon. Um, when they come back. How long does it take for them to get back into a groove? Um, like I said, you got a good chance. You got the Angels and the Mariners right here. You play eight games against your divisional opponents right here. I mean, you let's say you take five out of eight of that. I mean, you're right. You're right. Because the A's, look at the A's, for example. They they started the season off terribly, and exactly. they ripped off a bunch of wins in a row. And we, that's not surprising. We knew the A's were going to be a, a good team. So I think that's another thing with the Astros. And it's so hard for, uh, you know, the as as a fan to not overreact but I agree that's my advice just don't overreact look at the astros look at the way they started the year out <laughs> they're winning games left and right i agree and, and the nice thing is we have two on the road against the rockies coming up here and then you mentioned it the next eight at home against angels and a's which will be huge you take five of eight of that like you mentioned you're right back in the thick of things i think as much as people can be fired up angry about that elephant in the room i think there's also something where people need to try to plan ahead knowing that we're going to get guys back. I'm glad this happened early rather than sure. later. Yeah. And so now we can really kind of push forward. And I, I if, if I'm an Astro fan right now, I feel a lot more optimism knowing that if this does happen again later in the season, the prospects are going to have more playing time under their belt. And I think we'll be even stronger going forward. Yeah, they'll be they'll be playing games here yeah. in Circle Land. <laughs> and if they and they've had experience already at the next level too. So I, I think this is something where you can be fired up and angry, but looking ahead, we know that we're going to be tested, especially going forward. Yeah. I mean, there were, I believe it was last Wednesday, there was a game in which the guys played at the alternate site and were called up, and Ronnie Dawson was in the lineup. He was in both lineups that night. That's crazy. <laughs> but I, I do love it. The you know the the fan in me loves seeing a guy like Ronnie Dawson, a guy like Alex Degoti. They get a chance to get their first big league hit. They get that ball. They get to put it up in the shelf. Um so I know that's hard. You're looking at the record like, I don't care about Alex Degoti's first hit. I mean, I care about that kind I of do stuff. Too. <laughs> that's, that kind of stuff is really cool. Um, and, you know, hopefully brighter horizons. And, hey, maybe Alex Degoti might start the season here at Sugarland. But, I mean, he's proven he can, he can handle himself at the big league level too. So that is going to do it here for segment number one. When we come back, we've had a nice little string of 90s baseball Astros guests, including Shane Reynolds and this week's guest, Greg Swindell. So me and Brandon decide, why not talk a little 90s baseball? That is next up here on Down in Sugarland. Hey, Skeeters fans. Every Estonian knows that Cherry King Backyard Store is the first and only stop for when you upgrade your backyard. With the largest selection of outdoor furniture anywhere, you're sure to find the right look for your new backyard oasis. The finest quality merchandise at the lowest possible price every day. That's the Cherry King difference. Cherry King Backyard Store is proud to be the official outdoor furniture retailer of the Sugarland Skeeters. Visit one of the eight greater showrooms today. Okay, Brandon, we know that the last week was not uh, a banner week for the Astros, and that's okay. They're going to turn it around. But let's just focus on a little nostalgia. I feel like that cures some bad times in the present. And, you know, our last two guests have been pretty pretty nostalgic. You had Shane Reynolds, who pitched for the Astros from the early 90s all the way up until the early 2000s, and then Greg Swindell, who only had a kind of a you know, four- or five-year stint with the Astros, but that was back in the mid-90s. And, I mean, I like 90s baseball because, for me, you and Troy – that was like really the first time where we can like look back and we can be like looking at retro baseball and be like, I remember some of that. Absolutely. Well, when you think of '90s Astros baseball, what are some of the first thoughts that come to mind? Amazingly, I don't think of necessarily the '98 team and dominating. When I think about '90s baseball, especially with the Astros, there's one player that jumps to mind: Ricky Gutierrez, the wow, shortstop. Okay. The reason is everybody's got that one guy where you kind of hit your wagon to. And you're like, I think he's going to be a star. Yep. Everybody get his jersey. For me, that man was Ricky Gutierrez. <laughs> I would have died on a hill as a little kid telling you, like, oh, no, no, no. You get me that autograph, it's going to be more valuable than a Barry Bonds any day. <laughs> so that's uh, funny enough. When I think 90s baseball, that's always the guy I jump to first. Really? Cause that, that's interesting because I, I, I'm a little bit younger than you guys, so I do tend to think of more like the late 90s. And I just remember seeing Jeff Bagwell for the first time and like seeing him on TV and I'm like, this guy looks like he is like sitting on, on like a low stool and just parks dinger after dinger. Like, yeah, he, there was nothing like Jeff Bagwell. Like no one had, like, I mean, yes, there are iconic stances, but no one, no one had a stance like that where they just sat in a chair. And that's the other thing you just mentioned it. I feel like the nineties 
was like the last era of iconic batting stances. Tony yes. Batista, wide open, Craig Council, straight up, Bagwell, right. like a chair underneath Move him. On. Yes, like all of that, and suddenly that's gone. The other thing I think about with Bagwell, not only his batting stance, but that little poof that he had on the yeah. edge of his batting gloves for whenever he got hit on the wrist. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that 98 team, I mean, it is ridiculous. Like, you look at the star power of that league, I mean, yes, they're okay, off the top, Three Hall of Famers. You got Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, Randy Johnson. Then you have Derek Bell, who had just a very, he was like, he was one of the most popular players. Like, he was a name you know. I mean, Moises Alou, a guy that played a decade plus in the majors, gets his start with the Astros. And then you had Shane Reynolds. I mean, Billy Wagner, who, you know, by the end of this podcast, maybe he's in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. Like, he's he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, I think, someday. And you had so many names on the 98, 98 team. And to be honest, like, as a kid, I remember I just loved that uniform. I remember the star. I got a pillowcase that had all the National League team um, logos on it. And I remember the Astros. The Astros and the Marlins. Those are my two favorite logos I have off that pillowcase. I have been to two games where the pitcher won his 20th game. And those two pitchers were Astros. And, of course, it was Jose Lima and Mike Hampton. Oh, my goodness. That Lima, Lima time was obviously, I mean, he's... He's one of those guys where I, I wish I was a little bit older. I didn't have quite the appreciation for oh. him. But, yes, I know he was just – he was kind of like oh, – I'm trying to think of a pitcher in, in this time. Maybe Marcus Stroman would be a close example. Just a guy who, like, you you know, you want to watch him pitch, but you just want to watch him, like, the reactions of when he pitches. To me, Jose Lima was – he attracted the camera. Because when it was Lima time, he did that funny thing with his hat where the bills pointed up and it's kind of, like, folded in. But he was, like – he made you happy like the same way Manny Ramirez did for so many kids. Yeah. Where you just kind of like watch him and you just start immediately laughing. And Lima was perfect for that. Billy Wagner, I you mentioned him. One of my favorite guys ever because he was so tiny. And when he came out there on that And then he just shoves 97. Exactly. Right down your throat. Just and the most impressive thing was in high school he threw right-handed, but he broke his arm and then started throwing left. Unbelievable. And boy, did that work out for him, right? Right. And he would just come out just throwing straight gas like at 5'7", just on that mound. Dude, and to that point, I feel like the 90s really lended itself to where you'd like watch a guy come out and like reading glasses like he's going to be your history <laughs> teacher in seventh grade. And, and then he just pumps 95, like easy gas, like right, right by you. And you're like... Dude, I thought you were going to be a lecturer on like like 1820s like European civilization and then all of a sudden you're just you're going to blow a fastball what the heck? To me Billy Wagner had like the ears to where he looked like this was his off season from working in Santa's workshop. Like he just <laughs> throws straight heat when he comes down here. I absolutely love Billy Wagner. That was my mom's favorite player of all time. It's just because he just like you said he didn't look how he threw. Yeah, I mean and he really to like if you, if you want to go back and look at like the numbers just the 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 normal numbers you look at for a pitcher, but then you also look at the metrics. He really was probably the most dominant closer of all time in terms of like dominance, not in terms of like compiling numbers because he didn't reach a lot of those save numbers that you might look for in terms of just straight dominance. That dude was, he was it. He was the one of the best, if not the best to do it. I agree. And that little window where he was pitching, I mean, he was just lights out every time he came onto the mound. Absolutely. And I mean, the 90s too, it's just like, it, like I said, I'm, I'm more of like the late 90s, but it just seemed like you had all these guys I mean, and yes, there's probably, you can probably draw some reasons as to why this was, but just like you had these very kind of unathletic looking dudes, like just not unathletic in the sense of like, oh, they look like that of shape, but just like guys that look like they're going to be linebackers who you send out there, like Albert Bell. <laughs> That's oh, what I think of. Just He's incredible. just a monster. I mean, like you don't see a, a guy with Albert Bell's physique playing in Major League Baseball today. No. I got, or I mean, Pablo Sandoval. You could, right. you could make an argument. Pinch for it. assassin. But there was many Albert Bells. Like Albert yes. Bell looked like he just got off his lazy boy <laughs> and was like wearing a beater. And somebody's like, "Get him a jersey." Every team had an Albert Bell. Like <laughs> yeah. Mo Vaughn, another guy. Like I mean, Mo Vaughn hit some of the most titanic home runs of baseball history. Was Mo Vaughn a no batting gloves guy? I don't believe so. But the nineties did have itself well, some no 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 batting Astros, gloves. Two of them with Bell and Alou. Yeah. And yeah. that was my favorite thing. I respect a guy who goes no batting gloves because, especially because that bat is disgusting in the major leagues. Yeah. It's covered in tape and pine tar, and to go no gloves, like especially after a long career like Moises Alou. <laughs> and not only that, he stuck with it his entire career too. Well, not only that, you know how he got the better grip, right? He and Jorge Posada used to do this. No, please tell me they used urine. Okay. And they would sprinkle it on their hands, and that would be acting as tape. Hey, man, there's there's rumors of guys using, and including one guy we had on this podcast named Roger Clemens, who would use Icy Hot in certain places to 
get their fire them to up. fire them up. Yeah, like they would use that like to wake him up. Like Is that why they call him the rocket? <laughs> I I don't know, man. But I mean, hey, I, I can't confirm or deny that. I I promise you when I say that. But there are guys who even like Jake Peavy who pitched later and not in the nineties. But like there's there are guys who did that. And then even Joe Musgrove who just threw no hitter. I don't know if you heard like the interviews. He said he had that he had to pee the entire time, and he did not want yeah. to pee because he didn't want a sense of relaxation. He wanted that like. The, I, that to go on but yeah now we're not we're still get drifting off the 90s no, here but i i feel like that you also had more superstition in the 90s you yeah. had more guys covered in pine tar i mean biggio looked like he just rolled around it in every single game yeah and i mean and then it, it, it i feel like there's so many fun things about baseball that have kind of left from the 90s and the look too like you had like your starter warm-up jackets like i i feel like now a lot of times pitchers don't opt for the jacket but in the 90s if you're a pitcher who got on you you had a jacket it was like almost like mandatory i feel like you had to be wearing like the bagwell look right you had to have eye black and a goatee yeah no i mean and like it just like i said i mean the guys the guys who played in that era i mean and you saw a lot of blossoming careers but i mean just the the physique like i feel like in now in nowadays like you look at mike trout you look at ronald acuna you look at francisco lindor these guys are like robots like they're yeah. physical specimens and they're the ferraris yeah in 90s it was like you had a hey, pinto yeah you know or, or like a, like a like a f-250 souped up like extra <laughs> cab like these guys were were just monsters but you know i also feel like because they were built the way they were in the 90s like you didn't have the same kind of injuries because of those guys had so much body fat you know yeah. I, I think that actually does come to play yeah and i mean pitchers obviously there was a lot more emphasis i mean that this has been a generational thing like greg swindell like there was a game where he pitched for the Indians. Uh, we didn't get into this in the interview. He threw 11 scoreless innings <laughs> with the Indians. You'll never see that again. Like, if you throw seven scoreless, pat on the butt, great job, right? hit, hit the showers, like, they're going to the bullpen. Complete games, I feel like, belongs to just three guys in the major league right now. You expect it from Scherzer, DeGrom, and, like, Granky here and there. But everybody else yeah. kind of just feels like... A, cl a complete game is almost like a no-hitter at this point. And Randy Johnson's saying was, go nine or go home. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, he lived up to it a lot. And it's weird that I always think of Will Clark when I think of 90s baseball. Gosh, I think of him as, like, constantly pinch hitting. <laughs> Will Clark and Matt Williams, the that little corner trio for the Giants. I don't know why I always I always think of that. I mean, just two guys who, like, just mashed lefty-righty at the Giants. And I think Pitcher Candlestick in that ballpark where they had the bullpen in right, right center. center. Yeah, dude, that was always, because, I mean, it was built for football more than it was baseball. It was, oh, that's another thing, too, is ballparks, I'd say probably like 15 to 20% of them were, were multi-use. Oh, I miss the dirt infield all yes. of a sudden. And just, you know how painful it is to get tackled by these guys, but let alone being <laughs> tackled at shortstop? Yeah. Or you watch Gary Anderson line up for a 50-yarder <laughs> and he's kicking off the He's kicking off the infield dirt. Like, that was always that? the best thing in the world. There, there's some things, with, especially with 90s baseball, that I miss primarily. I miss the names. I feel like the Mark Grutzelonics, you know, oh, don't exist yeah. any, anymore, as, as fun as those used to be. Pokey Reese. Yeah. What a oh, name. Dude, and what a man, dude. That guy yeah. just suddenly just disappeared. I know. There's, I mean, the, it's the Astros, too. I mean, that really was kind of bringing it back to them. That was where they really like after the 90s like they got into the late 90s and then they had the 05 world series and they go to the 2017 world series championship that late 90s team that really was the first like sustained success they had and that team i mean my goodness and you're in the astrodome too the astrodome is really that was the thing it's already an icon in itself i feel like because of that late 90s team that's why there's such a nostalgia tied into the astrodome because when you think about it you think about that dominant run that they had because in 98 it really did feel like this was the year this was the team sure. to put it all together and just inside the astrodome too it made it come alive and i think that's why so many people look back on it fondly yeah and i mean that they couldn't have sent the astrodome out with a, a better, better style exactly. a better team and i mean yeah like even that the 98 national league i mean look at the the braves dude you gotta think about those those guys too you got oh, maddox yeah. smoltz glavin Millwith. i mean like my goodness a young andrew jones Chipper Jones, oh. Ryan Klesko, man. That guy had pipes, bro. He had pipes. Ryan Klesko also had the best shades to play in as well. <laughs> I miss those glasses that people Dude. would wear, too. Ryan Klesko like, looked the part of a guy who like probably just ripped out of his jersey into a leather jacket and went to a Creed concert after the game. It looks like he just ate a bowl of gravel before he <laughs> yeah. plays baseball. Oh, man. That was great. Yeah, him and like him and like Brett Boone, too. Javi Lopez. Oh. That Braves team was really good. Brett Boone, another iconic batting stance. Yeah, yeah. Him and, and his brother Aaron. It wasn't quite as iconic. Iconic, but yeah, Brett Boone. Man, no, he had Brett his, had one. He stuck he, out the butt. And big he time. had his hands like up there too. Yeah, you're you're so spot on with the batting stances. I feel like guys, you don't quite see him as many. Um, and the one you mentioned that sticks out, Tony Fernandez. Oh wow, what a batting stance! All right, well that's gonna do it for our '90s baseball segment. Next up is Greg Swindell. We had a great chat with him, and 
90s baseball was surely on the docket as well. So stay tuned here to Down in Sugarland. We are now happy to welcome to the show a great friend to Skeeter's Nation, college baseball Hall of Famer, former Major League All-Star, and the only manager in Sugarland Lightning Sloss history. That's Greg Swindell. Zeke, how's it going, man? Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That's a, that's a great intro right there. That's you know, trying to get quite, quite the resume, but I wanted to start with your nickname, Zeke. How did that come to be? Uh, my brother, when we were growing up, his, his name was Corky. And for some reason, when he got to, to college... Corky became Cork, and then Cork became Zork. <laughs> so then I became Zeke. So it was Zork and Zeke. Zork and Zeke. That is a power. I'm duo glad his right name there. wasn't. I'm glad his name wasn't Gorky, because then be Gork and Geek. <laughs> Very true. No, that, that's a that's a pretty cool <laughs> well, nickname. I, I like that. <laughs> well, Greg, you were uh, you were at Constellation Constellation Field a whole bunch last summer. You know, the manager of the Lightning Slots and the kind of upstart uh, Constellation Energy League, and. Uh, I mean, it's pretty safe to say that it had a pretty large impact on you. You're now the owner of a lightning slot tattoo. And uh, just want to get an idea of what that experience was like for you and obviously what compelled you to get the ink. Well, I've, the, in the, the slots were awesome. I mean, I had a great time doing it. I'm, I'm glad that uh, Roger and, and Inky and all those guys um, were able to invite me and ask me to do it and enjoyed it. And, um the ink. I mean, I, I like ink. If you've seen my arms and I have a couple on my leg and my back, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like the ink. And, um, it was kind of a, you know, we were a pretty good little fraternity there. Our, our lightning sloths, we got along. Yeah. It was a bubble for the players. I got to go home. They had to, to be together. But when we were at the park, it was a great time, a, a fun bunch of, of, of men who, who enjoyed playing the game and, you know, I, I felt it would be a perfect time to get a nice little lightning sloth tattoo. And funny thing about it, when I got the tattoo, the lady that owned the tattoo parlor over here in Cypress, Texas, she asked me, is that a lightning sloth? <laughs> she was a fan. Oh, she man. Was a fan. She had been to games and under and knew what the lightning sloth was. Man, that was kind of funny. It spreads right there. Lightning sloth community runs deep. <laughs> and uh, one of your guys, CJ Hinojosa, actually ended up signing with Astros, too. So we're going to probably see him here at Constellation Field in a couple of weeks. So a uh, great fraternity, like you mentioned there. Yeah, I saw that. I'm, I'm happy for CJ. He was he was thinking maybe going to Mexico, but then I saw where the Astros signed him. He went to camp, so I'm happy for him. Happy for for all the guys that, that are getting the opportunity this year. That it wasn't there last year, and now um, baseball's back. And looking forward to, to coming out and seeing some some AAA ball out there. Should Absolutely. be exciting. Absolutely, yeah, we're looking forward to it too. I mean, and to put it lightly, I mean, you were kind of the dude, you know, quote unquote, at Texas. I mean, you rank top 10 in just about every pitching category you could hope for. And I mean, you were doing this, it wasn't like an NAIA school. You did this at really one of the most storied programs of all time. I mean, what was that? What does it mean to you to have such a large place in that, in that history of that program? Well, I, I always thank my best friend, Rusty Richards, who I went to high school and grew up with because they came to watch him. Texas came to watch him at a, at a high school game and I happened to pitch and they, they signed me just on a recommendation of watching me pitch one game. So if, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have gone to Texas. And, you know, to, to it end up being things, stars had to line. Um, two, two guys got hurt, injured in a car wreck my freshman year. They were the one and two in the staff. And so when they got hurt, we had to have pitching. And I was able to pitch, have success. And then um, once I understood that I could pitch, at a major university at that level. And, you know, my confidence just took over. My velocity got six or seven miles an hour faster. And to, to you know, I, I can't say the rest is history because it was just um, a great opportunity that I I see it now. And, and guys take advantage of it. And that's what I did. And, and things just kind of started falling into place. And I think once my velocity jumped seven miles an hour, um, it was pretty much game on from, from there on out. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I didn't know that story. It's the right place at the right time. And I mean, it's definitely, I mean, there's no argument to be had. You're one of the best college pitchers to ever, uh, to ever suit up. But uh, and you, then you got your career started in Cleveland, you know, making an all-star team, cup of coffee with the Reds. And then you signed with the Astros ahead of the 93 season. You know, you led Sharpstown High here locally to a state title. So how pumped were you to get to come back home and pitch? It was good. Um, my life, I was going through a divorce and doing, you know, things. 
and I wanted to be close to home. And I guess the Astros were about as close as I could get because I grew up about seven miles from the Astrodome. Um, you know, things didn't work out as I planned as far as on the field, but it was a great opportunity to be at home. Family was here. Um, I end up meeting my wife and now we have three grandchildren and two more on the way. So a lot of good things came about coming back home. I wish things would have gone better pitching wise. Uh, they didn't, I didn't pitch up to my potential and, um, but it was, it was great to be able to put on an Astros uniform because I would go watch Nolan Ryan throw. I would bug the heck out of stretch Suba, who was the <laughs> bullpen coach for a ball all the time. And when I was little, and I was Astro buddy. Cesar Cedeno was my Astro buddy. And um, I became an Astro buddy uh, to, to a kid. So it was, um, it was a enjoy uh, to a real joy to, to put on the Astro uniform. Just wish um, pitching wise, it would have turned out a little better. Yeah. You got to wear those rainbow unis. So I mean, Hey man, that's, that's always good to get to have that on your resume. Those were some pretty, pretty good uniforms in major league history. And you, we had a, uh, your teammate Shane Reynolds on last week. What was Shane like as a teammate? Oh my gosh. Um, about as competitive on and off the field. I mean, he, he, um, one of the hardest workers I've, I've ever been around. Um, when he took the mound, he's all business. He's one of those guys that you couldn't really talk too much on, on mm -hmm. his game day. Um, I, I'm much more different kind of laid back and would talk to people, but he, he was all business. Uh, and then the day, four days in between, he was, he would get after in the weight room, do his running, do his throwing. He was, he was a professional to, to the nth degree as far as preparation and being ready and, um, still friends with him today. His son, Ryan ended up going to the university of Texas. So it was, um, we, we see each other quite often, uh, the last few years, um, now wives still have lunch. So it's, um, kind of a, a neat friendship. You don't, a lot of times in baseball, you, your teammates, you just, you, you don't become friends. But Shane was one of those guys who, who we've kept in touch with outside of baseball and, and are still friends with. Yeah, no, I was kind of going on a limb there. You know, I know kind of you said, you know, just because your teammates doesn't mean you're lifelong friends, but that's cool. I didn't realize you guys had such a kind of a longstanding bond like that. And, uh, you know, Greg, I find it fascinating. The guy you faced the most in your career, and I'm sure you may know this, maybe not, uh, Cal Ripken Jr. And I mean, hey, Cal's a hoffer, you know, he hit 340 against you, but we're not here to talk about that. I want to pump you up. I want to pump you up, man. And I saw how you fared against Barry Bonds. You held the guy with the most home runs in Major League history to a 188 average over 37 plate appearances. First off, did you know that stat? And how did you have that kind of success against Barry? I I do know that stat just because people ask not all the time, you know, how, how'd you yeah. do against Bonds? <laughs> so, I mean, eventually I thought it was one, what, six for 36 or something like that. Yeah. I think you only had one and, homer, um, one homer too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You hit that in Pittsburgh. I remember that one. <laughs> no, he actually hit it in San Francisco. He almost got one in Pittsburgh and it, I, when he, he was pimping it pretty good and I, I yelled, <laughs> kind of yelled at him going, you better make sure it leaves the park first because he barely made it to first base. And, uh. and my, out, my outfielder caught it at the wall. And I think it, it goes back to college. He was at Arizona state. I was at Texas. We, we met up in the college world series. His first at bat off of me in, in Omaha made him eight for eight in Omaha. Oh man. And he hit a double about a foot from going out in left center. And then I got him the rest of the game. So I think after, after that one at bat, um, and he knew it. I mean, it was it was it was so weird because I'm here. I am a lefty throwing 91, 92 miles an hour, and we're playing them in San Francisco. And he's looking around and he's pointing to Randy and Kurt, going, "Man, I I can get you guys all day long, but this guy here, <laughs> I don't know what it is." And I didn't either. I I, I guess I was in his head, and he knew it. <laughs> and it was it was. I mean, it was fun to have success against the best power hitter ever and and for him to admit it was one yeah. another thing so it was it was kind of neat i just wish there might have been a few more that that thought like that especially cal ripkin <laughs> i mean yeah yeah that's cool that's a good night if there's one guy that's going to get you like that it, it might as well be cal and i mean yeah I, I didn't deep dive into it too much but i gotta imagine that's one of like after 30 plate appearances one of the best opponent averages against barry bonds but we'll well, I'll have to do some research and get, get back to you on this one. But uh, <laughs> I want to go back in the time machine here. You know, Luis Gonzalez serves that single into center field off Mariano Rivera. Greg Council scores. You know, what the, the Dimebacks won the 2001 World Series. What's Greg, what Greg Swindell doing when Council crosses the plate in the minutes following? Oh, man. Um, 
Well, for one, you know, everybody has their place in the bull. I was in the bullpen. Um, I'd, I'd warmed up because um, if we go to extra innings, either me or Mike Morgan is going to be in the game. Mm-hmm. But once once we loaded the bases and, and st- things started going, um, I was just sitting there. I had my jacket up to my, my eyes and my hat down. I mean, I could barely see what was going on. <laughs> and the bloop happened. And, I, and my first thought was, oh, no, because I'm like, well, why would they be playing, you know, in? It made sense after the fact, and I can get to that later, but they were playing in. I thought they were playing back, and once I realized they were playing back or in, um, I just threw my jacket off, turned my hat around, and I don't remember much after that. I just ran, <laughs> to, the, ran to the pile, and I couldn't believe what had just happened. We we're down one. We're tied. We win against the best reliever ever in history. Um, it was quite a roller coaster ride just in the matter of, of an hour and a half right there in game seven. And then to top it off, Roger started game seven for the Yankees. So oh, there you go. it was, Oh man, it was, it was a mess, man. Roger and Mariano. That's yeah. That's what can you guys won the game? I mean, so yeah. Why were they playing Gonzo up? I mean, he's obviously he, at that point, he was one of the best hitters in the game. I mean, definitely a big power threat. Why were they playing up on him? Well, it was, it's funny. Cause I watched the, the one of the documentaries on it and Joe Torrey at Yankee stadium, I think in game three or, or four, whichever, they played back because they have the opportunity at home um, early in the game. You know, if you play back and you don't turn the double play, um, a run's going to score, but you still get to bat. Well, they're visitors mm-hmm. in Arizona in the bottom of the ninth. If they play back and Mariano has Godenzo hit just a lazy ground ball and they don't turn two and the winning run scores, um, <laughs> at that point you have to play in because you have to yeah. cut the run off at home because if not, the season's over, the World Series is over. So that was the reasoning um, that they were played in. And, and thankfully, it was um, game seven. Thankful, thankfully, we were at home. Yeah. Because it would have been different. <laughs> Very cool. That's an yeah, interesting perspective there. Well, I mean, you pitched really well in the World Series. I mean, three scoreless outings. You know, you finished two of the games off. What gave you more of that, that bubble gut, that nervousness? Was it coming out in a, your first World Series game, or was it your first appearance in the major leagues as, as in general? Oh no, I could, I, I came to, I, I think, um, Shane Spencer might've been the guy I faced uh, and, and I threw a first, I could see my hand, my glove and, and hand shaking. Oh, wow. I was, I was just, um, well, I mean, here's a lifelong dream. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Finish finishing off. Uh, we're up nine to one. So, I mean, if I, I could probably given up four or five runs and I'm still been happy, but as long as we won the game, but I'm, I'm so nervous and, and, kind of excited, anxious, nervous all, all at once. I just take a breath, see my hand shaking. And I, I think it was probably about a 75 mile hour fastball. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a strike and he popped it up um, deep to the outfield. And after that, I, I was able to relax. I'm like, okay, I can throw a strike in a, in a world <laughs> series game against the Yankees. So I, I can relax now and went on finish game one. And then again, going to Yankee stadium, um, close games. Every one of them were one run games. I, I got the pitch in two. And I just remember, um, just kind of looking around when I got on the mound at Yankee stadium, because you watched that as a kid, Oh yeah. you watched the Dodgers, Yankee, Dodgers Yankees when I was growing up pretty much every year. So, um, after nine 11, um, we had gone to ground zero the day before. And so it was just such a surreal thing. And George Bush, the first pitch, it was it was such an American moment mm-hmm. at that time, yeah. and and I just I just took a deep breath, um, kind of um, smiled. I think um, uh, Bernie Williams was on first, and Gracie, and I think they looked at me like, "What the hell is this guy smiling at right now?" <laughs> but I, I was enjoying the moment. I, I was trying to take it all in. Um, Fourteen again through first pitch strike, and um, I think I got Tino out that night, who had hit a home run the night before. To, to tie the game. So it was just, um, you know, an exciting moment for, for me personally, just to have a lifelong dream. One pitching a world series game and now to pitch in one of the most prolific stadiums ever Yankee stadium in a world series. Yeah. I mean, and you, you, know, you were a veteran at that point. So you, and you're also, you're playing for a team that was not too far away from being an expansion franchise. So you gotta be wondering like, man, am I ever going to get a chance to pitch in it? So I can totally understand how that was a, a more nervous moment than your debut. And, uh, Man, I know this is an Astros podcast, but I, I keep seeming to have these uh, Diamondback questions. If I have it right, you would have been in spring training camp when Randy Johnson infam- infamously threw that pitch 
that hit a bird and exploded it. And I don't know if you were, I know that sometimes you're not at the same game or if you're on the backfield, were you there when that happened? And what was your reaction? If so, I was actually in the bullpen. I pitched after in that game. Um, eventually. Yeah. I mean, you follow the, the flight of the ball and you look at the hitter and all of a sudden you do, you see like a, someone just shot a, a bird with a shotgun or, or you're having a pillow fight and feathers go everywhere. So it, it was, um, you were like, huh? What just happened? And funny thing, the Longhorn Calvin Murray was the batter. So I got to talk to him about how he went, you know, what were you thinking at that moment when, when the, the bird exploded and yeah, it just came up. I think the 20th anniversary, it was during 01. So the 20th anniversary of, of the bird <laughs> getting blown up by Randy Johnson. Were there, um, were there was, feathers on the mound? Was, I mean, you feel sorry. You just wonder what, the little bird's last moments were when he kind of glances to his left and sees a hundred mile an hour fastball. Yeah. He didn't have much reaction time. I know that. <laughs> Hopefully it was, it was quick and painless, but we're like, were there feathers on the mound when you came in and pitched? Yeah. I, 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 some, I, I talked to a reporter a few weeks ago about it because he was asking questions. He goes, you know, you pitched in that game. I go, well, I, I remember the bird. I don't remember pitching so spring training game <laughs> yeah. at that point, but he, he said I did. <laughs> Interesting. Well, there's a, there's a guy, you know, he, he meant a, had a lot big impact on me journalistically, and I know he had an impact on you somewhat. And that was, uh, you know, the late Pedro Gomez. And I saw you kind of had an interesting connection with them. You know, he, he they're not a one world series. He wrote a pretty scathing column about one of your teammates ahead of that game seven. You know, and he went down to the field for BP, you know, to be present to make sure that if anyone wanted to gripe with him about it, he was there. And in legend has it, you went up and, you know, shook his hand and kind of just gave him a head nod. You know, what compelled you, you know, you get ready for game seven, of the world series, what kind of compelled you to go walk up to him and, and, you know, give him that kind of respect. Well, the way he described it the night before he, I mean, we had a good relationship because, you know, you could talk and you knew if you talked off record, nothing was going to be said. He, he could trust Pedro Gomez. Mm -hmm. And, um, he came to me and we were talking from the locker after game six and we just won what 1915 to two or something. And he goes, you know, I'm, I'm writing an article tomorrow. And, it, and he started going through it and I'm like, Oh my God, Pedro, please. <laughs> he was our beat writer yeah. at, at Arizona. And I'm like, Pedro, why, why now? I mean, yeah. of all times you don't want Kurt doesn't need to be upset. Doesn't need motivation. He doesn't need anything. And, and then, so he's like, well, I, I, I already did it. It's in, it's going to be done. I'm like, okay. And next morning I read the article and I was like, wow. I mean, it wasn't as bad as he made it sound. And it, it was the truth. I mean, yeah. what can you say? <laughs> it, the article was, was truthful. And, and I felt compelled to go up to him, shake his hand and didn't say a word, just shook his hand and nodded. And he knew exactly what I was getting at. And that's just respect. I think for each other, um, that you can, you could, you could trust Pedro and, and sure. He was a good man, a good baseball man, and uh, sorry he's gone. But at that time, uh, I, I felt the right thing to do was to go up and let him know that I acknowledged everything is cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that was just one of those anecdotes, you know, when he, when he unfortunately passed, that like, came out, and I was crazy. I mean, us having, you know, known each other from the summer, I was like, man, that's that's crazy. And I, I think someone said, like, you know, when you walked up, he was probably like, oh, man, I'm gonna I'm about, to, I'm about to get it right now. And he just shook his hand, gave him a head nod. I think that's pretty cool of you to go up there and uh, and do that. Because like you said, it sounded like he was pretty spot on with whatever he was writing about about uh, Kurt Schilling. Um, well, you got a you got a pretty exciting summer ahead of you. Um, you're going to be the bench coach for the Victoria Harbor Cats uh, collegiate summer league with your buddy Todd Haney. Um, you know, for Astros fans that might not know that that's a, a league that infielder Alex DeGody, guy on the uh, Major League Ross right now, played for. You know, what led you to decide to extend your your coaching career up there in the uh, Great White North? Well, it, it would have been fun. I, the COVID has hit pretty bad up there and they've closed the borders again. So it was um, a couple of weeks ago, though, they, they canceled the season um, for the for the West Coast College League. Uh, but to reason why I want to go, I mean, who would not want to go to Victoria, British Columbia in the summer? It's the highs are 70 <laughs> degrees. I think the highs here are 7,000 degrees. So it, it, it was it's a great city. Stop through there a few years ago on a Alaskan cruise on our way back and saw Todd and his wife, Kira in the stadium. And it's just an opportunity. I think, you know, like, like the, the, the lightning sloths, I mean, an opportunity to be around the game, to, to help young men and especially college kids who are trying to, I mean, just soak everything in like sponges and uh, Todd 
had invited me a couple years ago, but with my son being autistic, nonverbal, just not in the right place in, in life. And this was going to be the, the perfect time to, to go up there. And it was only for what a month and a half, two months, um, a fun time. Unfortunately, now it's, um, it's been canceled, but we got, um, we've already locked in for 2022. So, so we ha- we'll have to wait another year. Okay, good. Well, it's good to hear that you're going to get a chance to go up there. Yeah, man, I got my Harbor Cat gear merch in, in the cart ready to go. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know, you mentioned you mentioned your son. I kind of wanted to leave it on leave it on this. I mean, I know raising Optimus awareness has become a pretty big part of your career. I mean, you played a key role for us in our hope for three night during the Constellation Energy League, you know, signing memorabilia, making a video for us. You know, what what has made this issue, you know, so important for you? And, you know, what are some ventures maybe you've taken part in recently or you have planned in the upcoming future? No, just this awareness. I mean, people don't know um, the cost of, of raising an, an autistic, especially a nonverbal. Um, when they're when they're young, uh, you you want to try to get them into any type of physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. Um, back when when Dawson was was little, none of that was covered by insurance. Um, now, fortunately, for a lot of people, it is. And but for a lot of people. There are families that have two, maybe three that are on the spectrum. So bills, mm-hmm. um, doctor visits, everything, uh, it adds up. And that's just the whenever we can help raise awareness and raise uh, funds to help families out that, that can't afford the, because um, early intervention is the, the best thing for these kids. If you can catch it early, um, you can, you can, maybe they, they will start talking. Maybe they, you know, don't, um, go crazy in a grocery store or, or anywhere mm-hmm. or get, you can, you can take them to a, to a baseball game and not have to worry about, um, them, you know, covering them, their ears or because they're, they, they have, they can be brought attention to. And, and it's unfortunate that people sometimes will look and give you bad looks, but my guy's six foot four now and 220 pounds. So if anybody gives me looks, I'm just going to sick them, sick him <laughs> on them. Um, yeah, but it, it's mainly awareness. Um, it's out there. It's more prevalent than, than ever. I think one in every 48, um, not just boys, but boys and girls, one in 48 is diagnosed on the spectrum. So um, raise awareness and hopefully um, help families out that are as, not as fortunate and, and get them into to therapies. That's awesome. That's, that's great stuff, Greg. And, uh, well, that is Greg Swindell. You can find him on the Longhorn Network as the great analyst for Longhorns Baseball. You can find him on Twitter at Greg Swindell. Greg, thank you so much for joining us, man. Really appreciate the conversation. Appreciate it, boss. All right. We'll be right back on Down in Sugarland. Baseball is back at Constellation Field, and full-season ticket deposits are now available. May 20th is just around the corner, and you won't want to miss exciting baseball this summer as the Skeeters enter their first season as the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros. For more information, visit SugarlandSkeeters.com and be one of the first to reserve a seat. Okay, that was a great interview with the legendary Greg Swindell and Brandon. We ran through a lot of topics there. Did anything stand out to you in particular? I love the nicknames to start off. Zork and Zeke just sounds like a fantastic Saturday morning cartoon show. What a, what amazing <laughs> nicknames that they had. But the Lightning Sloth tattoo as well, the tattoo artist being a Lightning Sloth right. fan, I had so many thoughts in my mind. I, I was thinking to myself, would I ever get a sports tattoo? And if I did, what would I get? Wow, that is a – I mean, putting me on the spot there. That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I – I first I thought it was Kitty when he sent the tattoo in, and right? I saw it. And the lightning sloths. I, one thing we didn't really get in the interview as much is that they like that team bonded better than there was four teams. They were like the closest knit team. They had some veteran pitchers like uh, Robbie Ross, David Huff, uh, Joe Whelan, um, Zach uh, Zach Roscup. They they like had the right blend of guys to get in there. And you know what? If I'm getting a a sports tattoo, whew, that's a good question. Um, I mean. Maybe I just go Javi Bias, go with the Major League Baseball logo <laughs> on the back of my neck. How about that? Right, exactly where Javi Bias has it too, yeah. right on the back of the neck, yeah. like the jersey just line. Just a in big there. Javi Bias guy <laughs> over here. I thought about that because I was just like, "There's no way, Greg." Because I, I was wondering, I was like, is, "There's no way that's his first tattoo, is it?" No, he's got he, he kind of referenced there. He's got a ton of tattoos. One of my favorites that like 
I saw too was he has the uh, the icon for Major League, which will come up later in this podcast, ironically. Um, but yeah, the, he has like the ball with the mohawk on it and the sunglasses as a tattoo, and he played for the Indians for quite a while so that's cool he's got tons of tattoos we need to do like a segment where it's like greg's tattoos with greg yes and we just kind of quiz him on like what was that tattoo what was the inspiration where did you get it dude yeah he's he's got plenty of plenty of ink uh i was just gonna say didn't he play for the indians when that movie came out he well what year did the movie come out do you do we have the math i think on? it was like 87 yeah, yeah. no he did he yeah. did then that was i mean i think i think that has something to do with why he probably got the tattoo because like a movie about the Cleveland Indians that was probably not something you'd expect. Um, and I mean, you look at a lot of his pictures, he's wearing that uniform they wear in the movie. 89, so. sorry. Yeah, no, he was with the Indians, 89. Yeah. There you go. That's incredible. I, I didn't know that little factoid that he was right there, and especially with the wild thing. Was he wild thing? Uh, well, he said he, he didn't, he was not like a, like a hard flamethrower. So he wasn't kind of like, he was more like, the, one of the other pitchers, a little more control guy, not not Rick Wild thing, and Greg's never been to prison either, so he's he's, <laughs> yes. he's not he's not in that category. California Penitentiary League. Yeah. I, uh, the one thing also that was fun too was going through that 2001 World Series with with Greg because sure. that's a World Series that stands out for so many reasons. It's like improbable, right? It, it, and on top of that, I I think that also had the best first pitch ever with George Bush. I, as much as I've ever seen. All these other first pitches, he went up there and threw an absolute strike where there was more eyes on that opportunity yeah. than any other first pitch I've ever seen. But then I always think in that one, I know like Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling were pinnacles for that, but I think of Tony Womack before I even think <laughs> Tony of Luis Gonzalez, everything. Because to start that inning off against uh, Mariano Rivera in game seven, it started off with Tony Womack. Dude, Tony Womack, man. And Craig Council, he's literally been a part of two. Game ones, winning yeah. game seven World Series runs, and I mean within like well, it was a four, it was ninety seven Marlins and the 01 Diamondbacks. Yeah, so within four years, has there? I mean, I mean, Joe Carter hit the game winning home run for the Blue Jays, but nobody has touched home plate twice to win a World Series like that in Game Seven. I don't know. That's an interesting factoid. We'd have to look into that. Yeah, one. I mean, my especially goodness. for two different teams, I think that's yes. what makes it also a factor as well because he did it with the Marlins and then he did it again. So I mean, what an interesting time, Craig Council. Uh, man, crazy. Let's talk about bad. We were talking about batting stances earlier. Council's got one of the most. He's got probably the most iconic batting stance. I ever. mean, we mentioned him in naming off that list of iconic yeah. batting stances. I bet Craig, if he's got like a Google hit alert on his name, he's going to be like, "Why are like, they what, mentioning yeah, me so much?" What is going on with these dudes? Yeah, I mean, I tried to like ask questions about the Astros, but really everything I was asking kind of led to those Diamondback eras because I mean, and there was the pitch with the the bird. Yeah. And I was talking over oh. Greg, and I felt terrible. I was just wondering if he saw feathers down there, and I jumped the gun a little bit. But I mean. Like that that image, like if there's a baseball blooper reel, it's not really a blooper reel unless it includes that that clip of the bird literally exploding upon impact. No, it's the most incredible play you'll ever see in your life. If if you've never seen it, people, YouTube it. Randy Johnson pigeon, and you'll see it. Or was it a dove? I mean, I don't know. It's a dead bird. At, th at that point, like it was it was unrecognizable. And <laughs> I mean, for better or for worse, Randy Johnson throws so hard that bird died on impact. Like it didn't. There's it, there's no way it felt anything, right? I mean, it literally just exploded. I, I forget who the catcher was. It was Rod Brahas. And he mentioned it. I remember his post game comment where he was like, "I remember calling for the pitch, and then the next thing you know, when I closed my mitt, all I saw was feathers." <laughs> Dude, I mean, yeah, there was a. They did like a kind of an oral history. Uh, in the athletic recently, because it's the 20 year anniversary of the moment now being oh, 2021. Um, and they were saying, like, they Rod Barajas, like, he didn't want to go and grab it. And then they were playing to the Giants, and Jeff Kent's like kind of an outdoorsy guy. And Jeff Kent <laughs> comes up and grabs it. He's like, oh, look at this. He's like putting it in his face and stuff like that. Um, and it's just crazy. I didn't realize he was warming up at the bullpen. I had no idea. I, when I asked him, I was like, maybe he was there that day. Because in the spring training, you never know. Like, there's, they do sim games, they do other site games. Like, I didn't know if. He was there. And to know that he was there and he was going to be the next guy in after Randy, that's perfect. And, you know, the one thing I also loved so much when you were talking with Greg, he seemed so just relatable, down to earth, so relaxed. Like, it, he's somebody that I personally would love to play for because I respond to that kind of personality as a coach to where he's just got patience. And you can tell in the patients when he was talking about his son with autism. I think that was one of my favorite parts of it because not only is he bringing awareness to it, but one of the most important causes of it, the financial cost, the things that mm -hmm. we don't think about and the way he was able to highlight that in the interview. Honestly, that was probably one of my favorite questions that you asked him, because I think that was a moment that we got to see Greg Swindell, not Greg Swindell, the player. Yeah, he's a huge advocate for autism awareness. I mean, like we had the hope for three game um, in the Constellation League and he volunteered himself to 
hey, what do you mean to sign? What do you mean to do? Um, and obviously, that's just a, a cause near and dear to his part. I love when he said his son Dawson. I mean, he's six four. You want to make? Yeah. You want to smirk at him? I'm going to send. I'm going to sicky one him. That, right. That, that, that's a situation. Yeah, six four two twenty. He's not too worried about fighting his battles in that, that case. Yeah, me and Troy were both loud. We got a kick out of that when, when we were um, sitting here getting interviewed. And yeah, I mean, to your point, too, man, he was the chillest manager, and I think that played it rolled over to his team. And in a summer league, kind of a, an upstart ragtag summer league, like he was the perfect guy. Him and Todd Haney both. I can't wait to see them get a chance to manage a team together um, there in the Canadian Summer League. Um, well, hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Greg Swindell, um, a good friend of the show. When we come back, we will finish off this episode by tearing some of the best baseball movies of all time. You're listening to Down in Sugarland. All right, welcome back to Down in Sugarland. And we are a podcast of... Baseball, we like to talk about some entertainment stuff, some pop culture, and I think this is a great crossover here. We're going to give you the tiers of what we deem some iconic baseball movies, and there's three tiers, and Troy, can you give me the names of each movie that we're going to be tearing up here? Okay, we'll start off with uh, League of Their Own, um, Ladies First, Major League, <laughs> Field of Dreams, Bull Durham, Sandlot, Moneyball, the Natural and Bad News Bears, the original 1975, 76, around there. Nice. Yeah, not Billy Bob. Yeah, no, no Sorry, Billy Bob. Bob. Right Sorry, on. Billy Bob. Don't <laughs> like you. I mean, I feel like that gives a good, you know, a good stretch of like some older classics, some newer movies that we like. And like I said, the concept here is quite simple. There's three tiers. I mean, you can put one movie in your tier one. You can put all of them in your tier one if you just love them that much. There's no rules besides that there has to be three tiers. And Brandon is going to be our leadoff guy. He's our Ricky Henderson for this segment. Brandon, what you got? All right, so in tier, I'm going to start from the bottom and work my way Ooh. up to my gold standard. So I'm going to start with tier three. And in tier three, I have the natural and bad news bears. Primarily, one, they're not my favorite baseball movies. If I'm going to watch a baseball movie, those are probably last. On top of that, if you've watched The Natural, I know there's some people that are listening in the audience and they're going to hate me for this. It just doesn't hold up and it's not a very good baseball they movie. They probably brought a loaf of bread with a nickel, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I just I, it, The uh, the ending of the movie is iconic. It's the home run, but again, really, really cheesy. Bad News Bears, love the coach. But I don't know. I just hated Kelly every time I watched it for some reason. When he just rides in on that, I know controversial for those old take movies. Just weren't my favorite. Let's go to two. Two is one where I think of them as really good baseball movies, but in terms of my entertainment value, not the top. I've got Field of Dreams, Bull Durham, and Moneyball. Now, I will say of those three movies, probably overall the best like actual baseball being played like in terms of film production wise all those guys can really play they can really hit costner by the way leading the era in this yeah. two of them and just a great one field of dreams i know it tugs on the heartstrings but that very end scene where he's playing a catch or having a catch with his dad not playing a catch and like when he's throwing back to Costner, it's just the ugliest baseball throw motion ever. <laughs> and that just takes me out of the moment. So I, that's why I kind of knock it down. Dude, that's a, a good point. Like it has the, there are some movies where the baseball is not good. And that, that to me yes. does take away from it. You for have sure. to look like you've thrown a baseball and, before. And Costner does a pretty good job about no, that. No, he can actually play. Yeah. So now we get to my tier one, my gold standard. I have major league Sandlot and a league of their own. And the reason being major league for me that is my favorite baseball movie because it just makes me laugh so hard. And again, that's one of those where you look at Rick Vaughn. He can actually throw a baseball. You look at Jake Taylor, Pedro Serrano, Wesley Snipes as Willie Mays Hayes. They can all, they look athletic. They look like they could play the game of baseball. So I buy into it, especially with the humor. Sandlot, I mean, I was a Sandlot kid, you know, just you and your friends knock on each other's doors. I'll meet you in the parking lot or just an open field. Let's play a game. And for some reason, even though nobody's watching, we're not even filmed or recorded. Those games just mattered, you know? Oh, and, yeah. And I think that movie makes me feel like that every time I watch it. I just miss that just on the field play where nobody's watching, but these games meant the world to me. You know? Game 7 of the World Series. Yes, it mattered if I put my head on the pillow and I was the hero or I wasn't sleeping that night, you know? And, yeah. I, and I love that about that movie. Finally, A League of Their Own. I think that's one of those where, historically, baseball doesn't highlight that period enough. And it's one where you've got great acting combined with just a different side of baseball, but the sense of humor in that movie, too, as well. Tom Hanks, that's probably... One of my most favorite roles Tom Hanks is in. Die laughing every time of it. And there's just also a huge cast that's just 
it's star powered more than the other movies, in my opinion. Like, Peter Davis, Madonna. I yes, mean, come on, Rosie O'Donnell, Rosie, et cetera. Yeah. Like, it's one of those movies that I can always watch. It holds up still today. And again, the baseball being played still looks like they're athletic, and that matters to me, dude. And Hanks, I mean, come on, exactly. Come on, Hanks. Yeah, I mean, is there ever is there a Hanks movie that doesn't really hold up? I mean, that's a different topic. We can do that segment three next week, but that, that's <laughs> Hanksy, Hanksy man. Yeah, we'll talk about it. But that, that's my gold standards. Love it, uh, Troy. Dude, that was that was uh, of course excellently. Thank you. Uh, you know, talked. Uh, I'm gonna should I start off with three. You can do it your way. You can go gold yeah, down to bronze. Let, let him fly. I mean, I'll I'll start down. First. Either way, I'll, I'll go with uh, my my third tier. I'm just gonna put the natural on there. Watched it. Sorry, it kind of bored me. Yep. Um, like we said, has the iconic music that uh, still gets played in our ballpark too. Um, so you'll probably hear that here at Constellation Field. But uh, for my second tier, I'll probably put Bull Durham. I enjoy it. I've watched it later in life, so I'm not like. There's no like nostalgia tied to it with me. Yep. Um, same with Major League, exact same. I, I didn't grow up on it as you two may have. Um, I'm gonna put a league of your own on that that tier too. Um, great movie, obviously. I totally agree with you. Tom Hanks is great, and the star power in that in general. Uh, and then this one, Bad News Bears, kind of. I was almost between one and two with this one. I know you were pretty low on it, but. Uh, I enjoy. I love Walter Matthau. Like yeah. he is. He's like, hilarious. Enough. I want. Like I've always. I don't know why. I just. I've always loved him and uh, Grumpy Old Man and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, I'll put probably put that in tier two. Um, as far as tier one, uh, I'll start off with Field of Dreams. I enjoy it. I know there's some cheese factor in it, and yeah, you, you brought up some uh, some flaws in it, but. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it, man. That's a that's a good Father's Day movie, and I always enjoy watching it around that time. Um, and then I got got to go with Moneyball. Moneyball is one of my top favorite movies. It just makes me like appreciate the game of baseball. Um, gets me emotional a little bit. Um, and then number, I mean, obviously one of my favorite baseball movies of all time is The Sandlot. Grew up watching that. Me and my brother would always watch that movie on repeat. And then it's got, you know, one of the best 4th of July baseball uh, moments. Oh, you yeah. got Ray Charles singing America the Beautiful, and they're just looking at the fireworks. That's one of my favorite scenes of all time. When, Port so when Porter's putting together his hot dog. Oh, dude. They're like, love it. Night game, let's go. Yes. That's <laughs> such a good point. That 4th of July, like, whenever we used to do, like, the 4th of July fireworks here at Constellation, I always waited for that Ray Charles. Dude, song. I, I will, I, I control that. So yes. I always put on that song. I'm like, <laughs> we're playing this song. This is like, gets me all the feels. To me, when that song is played, now it's 4th of July. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I guess uh, I'll close it out here. Uh, my year three is uh, identical to Brandon's. I had the natural and uh, I had bad news bears. Um, Kind of interesting though that scene. It's corny, but you know what's funny is that Aloy Jimenez of the White Sox now um, had a moment, and the I think it was like an All Star game home run derby in the minor leagues, where he literally hit a ball so high and so far it knocked out a light standard at the stadium it was at, and like everyone was like, "Oh, the natural," but like, and then like sparks just yeah. flew and, right. And it his wasn't bat was made from the same type of tree. <laughs> exactly, it wasn't quite <laughs> as dramatic. I just think it's funny. I always think of that like everyone's like the natural and. In full transparency, I've already been roasted on this a few times. I've never seen the natural, so you're not missing. <laughs> but you've seen everything else on this yeah. list. I have. Which that, is, I'm actually like surprised. I am too. That's the only one. So tier two, um, I'll go from the bottom to the top. I have League of Their Own. Uh, great movie. Just did it. Not one of those. I didn't kind of like with you, Troy. See, I didn't grow up with it. I watched it a little bit later in life, and so just didn't. Not one of that stuck with me. Uh, maybe a little controversial. I have the Sandlot in tier two. Whoa, um, whoa. I think it's just because my tier one, I I hold them in a higher regard. Um, nothing against Sandlot. I again, that's that's more of the movie that's made in my generation, but um, just did not think of it as high as the last three. And then, then tier two, I'm going to close it out with Bull Durham. Um, Tim Robbins, man, puts on a puts on a show. Um, however. As Nuke Volusia is a guy that's supposed to be throwing like cheddar. Yeah, it looks like he's soft tossing. I agree with that. I because he was supposed to be bringing the heat. If you make him like a like a junk ball pitcher, yes, I could buy it way buy more. It. I'm totally, with you. I'm with you. Great movie though, and you know, as someone that works in minor league baseball, as we all do, I think that that one really does embody the spirit of some of the minor league you know gags that go on. But just just didn't buy it with, yep. with Nuke Volusia. So yep. it, that, it's enough to knock it a tier two for me. Tier one. I'm going to go from bottom to the top. I mean, these are all on my tier one, but just in order. Field of Dreams, um, one of the first baseball movies I watched with my dad, and it's just like one of the – I mean, it, it's so cliche. The uh, Bond along with James Earl Jones when he's describing, you know, what baseball meant to him. I mean, God, it gives me chills even thinking about it. Uh, one of my favorite movies. 
uh, Major League. I that that movie like, and I actually watched it in reverse order. But like, that was the first time where I'm like, man, like baseball and comedy kind of kind of clashed. You know, the, it seemed like it was always separate. Also, fun fact: the guy who plays Pedro Serrano was the guy from the Also commercials. And uh, I think people know that fact. Blew me away. <laughs> <laughs> never knew, never knew that man. And uh, I mean, the manager. I mean, God, it, it all of it. It's just, Blue. it's just so perfect. And then number one, uh, Moneyball. That's my movie. Uh, Billy Bean. Went to my alma mater, Malcolm High School, go Sun Devils. Uh, there we um, go. And I also, I'm like kind of like a chubbier, curly-headed guy who works in baseball. And uh, I get a lot of comps to Jonah Hill. So that movie, and he's like, do you want me to speak to you? Uh, do you want me to do you want me to talk? Yeah, when I point to you, I want you to talk. <laughs> like, <laughs> just. <laughs> you know, we, we, we need to get A.J. Hench on because Billy Bean gets Brad Pitt. A.J. Hinch. Yeah. What is, who, who does A.J. Hinch get in that movie? It's uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. No, that's not A.J. Oh, that's Hinch. Art Howe. That's, that's Art, Art Howe. Howe. Thank you. My apologies. Yeah, that's no, what but I meant. either way, I mean, you're, you're, you're in the right. You're but you know what I mean? Is Billy Bean, it's like you get ruggedly handsome Brad Pitt. Art Howe, here's Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman. All right, but <laughs> arguably, who's the better actor? I mean, you're right, but That's I would true. rather be better. I would rather be betrayed by the better looking man. I'm, I, <laughs> I mean, know. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> right? Like, that, yeah. If but, like you're Jason Momoa, you know, you're like, all right. <laughs> like, sick. Dude, Chris Pratt kind of makes like his film, not debut, but like but he gets. that bobblehead over here of the. Yeah, Scotty yeah, H. Scott Pick a machine. Adenberg. Yeah, that movie, that movie, I mean, like, I read the book, too. It's It, it really is. Like, for people that are about our age, I mean, that's, that's it doesn't get much better than Moneyball. So, Field of Dreams, aren't they doing a major league game there this year? I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they were planning on doing it yeah, last year. But then it got And canceled. it got nixed. And then now this year, yes, they are playing a game there. Um, I hope it goes through. That's awesome. That would be the most, like, crazy cool-looking game yeah, on television. Sure. Yeah. I mean, hitting a home run into the cornfields. I mean, that that literally is, like, what you when you watch it, you dream about the field. That's the thing I'm wondering about. If I run into the cornfield, can I still catch it? I think there's a wall. <laughs> I think I think I think they're gonna have a wall. But no, I mean, who knows? If I, I can break through glass ceilings. We'll revisit <laughs> we'll revisit this when we uh, when we get back to that point. Well, that was our tears for Major League Baseball movies. I hope you guys enjoy that. Hope, Just hope baseball enjoy movies. Right? Baseball movies. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, because I don't watch a lot of movies other than that, <laughs> apparently. So hopefully you enjoyed that. And hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week with another episode of Down in Sugarland. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening.